Let's go into the house of the Lord. I'm Pastor Michael Lilienthal. And as we continue through the pre-Lent season, or the Gezima season, as it's affectionately termed by uh, by those who are <laughs> perhaps unhealthily obsessed with the, the church here lectionary, uh, we are coming to the second Sunday of that season, Sexagesima, which, uh, if you listened to last week's episode uh, about Septuagesima, uh, these are Latin names for these Sundays that indicate approximately how many days we uh, are before Easter. We're counting down to Easter. That should be really exciting here. And on Sexagesima, we're approximately 60 days from Easter. Uh, so that's what it's all about. We're, we're continuing to focus on that Easter as it comes. Last week, Sexagesima, or Septuagesima last week, was uh, focused on uh, Sola Gratia, by grace alone, how we are saved. Now with Septua- Sexagesima, uh, we're focused on another sola of the Lutheran Reformation, and that is sola scriptura, or scripture alone. We're going to look at uh, how the Word of God uh, brings that important message to us, how, how that is really the key feature of our religion, of our faith. So as we look at uh, sexagesima, uh, this Sunday uh, is the third Sunday of the month for uh, in February, uh, being February 16th. Uh, so we are going to, as is uh, the tradition at Our Saviors, be following Rite 2, uh, which is sometimes called the Common Order of Service. It's on page 60 uh, in the front part of uh, the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary. Uh, and uh, it, it's a communion service, the divine service, as, as, as that commonly is. Um, and we'll be following the entire thing, uh, beginning with uh, an opening hymn, then the invocation, confession of sin, uh, Intro at Gloria Patri, Curiae, Gloria and Excelsis. Now, the, the Gloria and Excelsis, I didn't mention this last week, uh, but there is a, uh, a, a tradition that, um, well, first of all, the Gloria and Excelsis is uh, omitted during Advent and Lent, uh, and sometimes during pre-Lent as well. Uh, it's, it's kind of a uh, soft silencing <laughs> of, uh, of that, uh, that, that praise, that high praise. Um, now, we're not going to silence the Gloria, but we are going to silence the Alleluia, which is uh, a far more common practice. Uh, we'll, we'll keep that Gloria and Excelsis Deo all the way until um, Lent begins itself. Uh, we'll keep it for the pre-Lent season. You can do that. Uh, but we will omit the Alleluia that follows um, the epistle, and we won't be singing um, Alleluia anywhere uh, in our services for the pre-Lent season or the Lent season. Really, it's, it's kind of... Um, you know, you, you get that idea of giving something up for Lent. Um, well, we're giving up Alleluia. <laughs> not not really, but we're we're giving up that uh, that high praise aspect of uh, of of our worship, and instead we're focusing on um, the penitence that uh, that um, the, the the confession of of sin and the the reception of the absolution, and focusing on how we don't deserve it, but it's given to us anyway. So, uh, yeah, after the glory and excelsis, we have the salutation and the collect, the lessons with the psalm and alleluia in the midst of them, uh, and then the creed following the gospel, uh, then the chief hymn sermon offering with operatory verse, prayer of the church, going on to the service of Holy Communion, we have a preface and proper preface, um, which I didn't mention last time, but um, the uh, the proper preface for uh, the gesimas, um would be also the same as uh, the, the Lent season. You bid your people cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Paschal Feast. Renew our zeal and faith and life and bring us to the fullness of grace that belongs to the children of God. After that, then, uh, we have the Sanctus immediately following the proper preface, the Exhortation, the Lord's Prayer, the Words of Institution, Pax Domini, Agnus Dei, Distribution, Nuc Dimittis, 
collective thanksgiving, uh, followed by a hymn of thanks, the salutation, the benedicamus, benediction, and doxology. Uh, so this is uh, a place where, um, you know, before we get to Lent, we're going to, to take that opportunity to really uh, emphasize that, uh, that doxology. I've already decided uh, with this that um, uh, we will be singing hymn 592 uh, for the closing hymn. Uh, we praise God from whom all blessings flow to the tune of Old Hundredth. Uh, that's one that uh, people like singing here at Our Saviors, and I've had someone mention to me that they'd really like to sing it uh, just about every Sunday. Um, so we'll we'll get it in there once a month anyway. We'll get it here for for the closing hymn on this one. Since uh, the uh, the right to service specifically does mention a doxology as the closing hymn, uh, is is really appropriate there. Uh, it would be appropriate any time, but. Um, it, liturgically, it's especially appropriate here. So 592 is the closing hymn there. I wanted to make sure to mention that uh, right out the gate uh, as we get into uh, uh, the, the propers here. It, the, this Sunday being emphatic on Scripture, on the Word of God, it does tell a story. Uh, with And, and I want to emphasize that with the service as well. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that, and we'll start by looking at uh, the introit, and then we'll come back and highlight the other hymns as well. So looking at the, the introit for sexagesima. Awake! Why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise! Do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what deeds you did in their days. Okay, I want you to notice right there, they have told us, what deeds you did in their days. The reason for hope, the reason that we're praying to God, even in this, this um, proclamation that seems almost despairing, the reason that we can even speak to God at all is because we've been told about him, because we've been instructed, because we've been given the word. Look at that already, the word right out the gate with uh, this, uh, this intro. It. Uh, this comes from uh, Psalm 44, uh, for, for curious listeners, uh, this intro. It. So, yes, uh, but again, we're, we're still in that um, kind of interesting sphere in this pre-Lent season where we are highlighting our suffering. We're highlighting um, how abandoned we feel uh, and how burdened we are by, by our enemies, by especially the enemies of, of sin, death, and the devil, or the, the devil and the world and our own sinful flesh. Uh, we, we are overwhelmed by those things. And so it seems, as we're uh, frustrated by these, that God is sleeping. It seems like that. Uh, but he's not, and and we'll <laughs> the, the, we we say, wake up, God! Why are you sleeping? Only because that's the way it seems to us in, in our our limited nature. But um, we will see the confidence that we have because of His Word. I want to read the the collect for the day as well. Uh, collect number thirty four on page one fifty one in the hymnary. Oh God, you see that we do not put our trust in anything we do. Mercifully grant that by your power we may be defended against all adversity. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. Again, this uh, it, it ties right back to Septuagesima with that sola gratia. We don't trust in our own power, but we trust in God's power. We know that he defends us. He takes care of us. Uh, and again, we trust in that power because of the word, because of what he has uh, revealed to us in that same word. Okay, the propers for sexagesma, besides that, going on to the readings, uh, we're at another uh, chapter division for the epistle lesson uh, for sexagesma. It's uh, 2 Corinthians now, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, through chapter 12. 
You gladly put up with fools since you are just so wise. In fact, you put up with it if anyone makes you his slave, robs you, takes advantage of you, looks down on you, or strikes you in the face. I am ashamed to say that we were too weak for that. However bold anyone might be, I am speaking in a foolish way, I am going to be bold too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's seed? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I'm speaking in a crazy way. I am even more. I've done more hard work, been in prisons more often, been whipped far more, and I've been close to death many times. Five times I received from the Jews forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day on the open sea. I have often been on journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger on the sea, in danger among false brothers. I have worked hard and struggled. I've spent many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've gone without food many times. I've been cold and lacked clothing. Besides those external matters, there's the daily pressure on me of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who falls into sin without my being distressed? If it is necessary that I boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is eternally blessed, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Eratus kept the city of Damascus on alert to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. So I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who... Fourteen years ago was carried up to the third heaven, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows. And I know that such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows, was carried up into paradise, and heard inexpressible words that a man cannot possibly speak. On behalf of such a one I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except about my weaknesses. Indeed, if I wanted to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from doing this, so that no one will think more highly of me than what he sees in me, or hears from me. Therefore, to keep me from becoming arrogant due to the extraordinary nature of these revelations, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not become arrogant. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he would take it away from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, because my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will be glad to boast all the more in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may shelter me. Paul says a lot here. This is a long epistle lesson, <laughs> um, but uh, this uh, he's he's pointing out how people, how other false apostles uh, are are trying to point out something other than God's word as the source of salvation, and it's something in them. It's always always something in them. Uh, he, he says, well, I'll be bold if they're going to be bold. Are they Hebrews? They're boasting that they can say this because they're Hebrews, because they're Israelites, because they're Abraham's seed, because they're ministers of Christ, uh, because they've done hard work, they've been in prison, they've been whipped, they've been close to death, all these different things. Okay, so he lists all that big things, and he says, no, I'm more. I'm, I'm more and more and more and more and more than any of that. So it can't be because of that that they're counted worthy to be apostles, or it can't be because of that, that their testimony is true. And then he goes on and says, in fact, I could boast about all of this stuff, but that's not where the true source of your salvation comes from. That's not how you are confident in anything. In fact, boast about your weaknesses, because the strength comes from God. And that's what he gets at, ultimately at the end here. Um, 
I will be glad to boast all the more in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may shelter me. And that's why I love how long this epistle lesson is too, because, oh, it'd be so easy to just get bogged down by this. Oh, why do we have to read this huge text? Ugh. But if you um, let it be what it is, um, and it is a litany, really, uh, a long, long um, text that uh, is is hammering home a, a, a bunch of big points on this. Um, anyway, it, uh, it, it really emphasizes just stop boasting. Stop worrying about what is in you. Stop boasting uh, or worrying about your own abilities, your own uh, powers, your own strengths. Instead, look at the power of Christ. Look at the, the work of God in all of this. That's, that's really the focus. And where does God work? Uh, we're getting a theology of the cross again here. He works in the, the humble means of grace in what looks weak. Uh, so it's, it's just a, a beautiful text. A very comforting one, too, especially with that ending, that uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, boast in our weakness. God's grace is sufficient for us. And that's, again, we see this, this close link between uh, that sola gratia and sola scriptura, because where do we get that sola gratia? In sola scriptura. The gospel lesson for sexagesima is from Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. As a large crowd was gathering and people from one town after another were making their way to Jesus, he spoke using a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell along the path. It was trampled, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground. As soon as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Other seed fell into good soil. It grew and produced fruit 100 times as much as was sown. As he said these things, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? He said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest I speak in parables, so that even though they see, they may not see, and even though they hear, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear it, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts to keep them from believing and being saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but they have no root. So they believe for a while, but then fall away in a time of testing. The seeds that fell into the thorns are the ones who hear the word, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the worries, riches, and pleasures of life, so they do not mature. And the seeds in the good ground are the ones who hear the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it tightly, and produce fruit as they patiently endure. A familiar parable, parable of the sower and the seed. Uh, and, and Jesus explains it. So really, like, what work is left for a pastor to do if he's preaching on this gospel text? Uh, it's it's honestly one of the best ones to preach on because, because Jesus explains it so clearly and gives you that explicit uh, interpretation of the parable. Uh, and so, really, you just have to repeat what Jesus says uh, on this. Um, the devil takes away the word to keep people from being from believing. Without the word, you can't be saved, is, is the point there. And the devil knows it, and so he's going to snatch it as soon as he can. But those who hear it uh, initially with joy, um, they, they, yes, they love it. They, they want to believe it, but then no root. They don't let it be nourished. They don't let it dig deep. And so, they fall away. In a time of testing, it says, when when things get tough, uh, it's it goes to that that intro. It no awake, oh God, and everyone has that perspective at some time or another. I don't want to overgeneralize, but you know, when you face suffering like that, it does seem like God isn't listening, like God isn't around, and so 
what do you do at that time? You say, wake up, God, come and help me and save me. Do you pray to God or do you say, well, God's sleeping, I give up? Uh, and that's that's really the difference here. And and even in those who do say, wake up, God, then eventually they give up and and fall away as well. But the point is that when you say, God, wake up, come and help me. Well, then go find where God is found and he's found in that word. That's about, that's that root, you know, make it grow deep. Get back to the word. Keep being, keep letting your faith be nourished by that uh, so that, that testing doesn't cause that um, falling away. Then in the thorns, they hear the word, but then they're choked by the worries, riches, and pleasures of life. Um, it's not even a time of testing here. It's just, I got other things to do. I got other things in the way. I'll worry about that another time. I'm, I'm not as concerned about that right now. And so the word dies in the heart. Faith dies uh, because we're not focused on it. We're not uh, encouraging its growth. Uh, we're, we're letting other things grow up beside it, and, and we're actually watering those things uh, and letting them grow instead of the word itself. But then the last one, uh, the good ground, hearing the word, holding on to it tightly, producing faith, that's or producing fruit, that's good works from faith as we patiently endure. So that says, too, you know, there's going to be times of testing there, too, but we endure that. Uh, and the only reason we can endure is because that word continually comes to our hearts and we are continually nourished by that as well. So the word of God, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. Can I emphasize that enough? I don't think I can. I'm going to keep doing it. Keep emphasizing uh, the, the importance of the word of God and hearing it and letting it train you. You know, there was a, a movement in, um, oh, what was it, the 18th century uh, in Lutheranism called pietism. And uh, one of the big uh, earmarks of pietism was a uh, disdain for the means of grace. Um, they said the word wasn't effective, but what uh, gave you faith uh, or, or gave you salvation or, or gave you God's grace was your connection to the, the cross and resurrection of Christ. And that sounds good initially, but what they meant was uh, your own inner powers of faith, your own inner convictions and uh, uh, feeling uh, of, of being called by God rather than looking back to that grace. What, what I would say to, to such a person is, well, what, if, what, what about the days when you feel down? What about the days when, when you don't have the energy? Well, they would say, at that time, you're, you don't have faith. <laughs> or at least that your faith is, is weak and dying and, well, you better work on it harder. When that's, no, that's focusing on you. Focus on God. Focus on what he does for you. When you feel down, yeah, you feel down because you're human, you're sinful, uh, and you're in a sinful world, and you're affected by the sin in this world. So go back to God. He has the cure. And that doesn't mean that it's going to go away right away, but it means that he will nourish your faith, and he'll keep it strong because he promises to. And even when it stays weak, it's still sustained by God and his word. It's not sustained by you staying away from that. If, if you avoid God's word and his means of grace, you are cooking up a recipe for disaster. You are encouraging Satan to come in and snatch what is left uh, of your weak faith, rather than taking that weak faith to God and letting his grace be sufficient for you. Um, and not to end on, in the gospel account, on that, uh, that dark and dismal sort of idea, but I think it is a hopeful message too, because we have that surety that where God is found, there we have strengthening for our faith. So now I want to go on to uh, the uh, Old Testament lesson. Uh, we're into Exodus now uh, in the Old Testament lectionary. Uh, Exodus, uh, we're going to skip the first two chapters and go straight to chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 20. Exodus 3, 
1 through 20. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, a priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in blazing fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but the bush was not burning up. So he said, I will go over and look at this amazing sight to find out why the bush is not burning up. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to take a look, God called to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I am here. The Lord said, Do not come any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He then said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have certainly seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their cry for help because of their slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that, that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now indeed the Israelites' cry for help has come to me. Yes, I have seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. This will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I say to them? So God replied to Moses, I am who I am. He also said, You will say this to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also told Moses, Say this to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is how I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go gather the elders of Israel together and tell them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have certainly been paying attention to you and to what they have done to you in Egypt. So I have said that I will bring you up from misery from the misery in Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to your voice. Then you and the elders of Israel will go to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness, so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go unless he is forced to do so by a powerful hand. So I will reach out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, with which I will do in their midst. Afterward, he will let you go. Another long uh, text, but uh, again, like I said, this is this is a good Sunday for, for long texts. Um, and what we see here is how the word of God comes to Moses. It comes in a burning bush. It's, it's, it's interesting. It doesn't behave the way fire should behave, just as God's uh, revelation to us doesn't behave the way we want it or expect it to behave. We expect glory. We want glory, but we receive humility. You would expect a bush that's on fire to be burned up, but it doesn't do that. Um, and that uh, that has more implications uh, elsewhere. Uh, Johann Gerhard used this uh, this text of the burning bush in uh, one of his Christmas sermons to indicate uh, how uh, the the two natures of Christ came together. That the divine nature entered the human nature, but didn't consume it, just as this fire didn't consume the burning bush. Uh, and similarly, that um, uh, Jesus entered the womb of his mother Mary without her purity, her virginity being destroyed, just as this bush was not consumed by the fire. Uh, and and there's there's certainly connection to be had there for for this as well. That God's word comes to us, but it does not destroy us. Um, it uh, it uh, comes in uh, in a, in a humble way, in a way we wouldn't expect. 
And as it comes, then uh, there's this this message. We 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 learn um, the promise of God again that He's going to give this promised land to the people of Israel. Um, while well, we see Moses uh, entering into the sanctuary, you think of uh, Septuagesma when we're calling outside the sanctuary. We're still in the narthex here uh, of the pre-Lent season uh, as we're on our way into the sanctuary for, for Lent and Easter. Uh, Moses is called in to take his, the sandals off his feet. Uh, we, we learn that Moses doesn't think that he should be the one to go, but he goes because God is with him, like the word again. It, boast in the weakness. Boast in the weakness because... It, it's all about God's strength, which comes in weakness, just as his salvation came in a cross. Uh, we learn God's name, I am who I am, um, which is eh, uh, yeah, um, in Hebrew, and Yahweh comes from the same. Yahweh comes from uh, something that would be uh, he is. So the Lord, uh, the God of your fathers, he's the one who, who sent Moses. He's, he's the one, and he is who he is. That's, that's something very key here. You can get philosophical about this, that God is... He's the one who is. Everything else is because of God. But God is the one who is because he is. Um, uh, then, uh, yeah, we get the repetition of uh, the uh, the promise. God also knows that uh, Pharaoh isn't going to let the people go. He knows this suffering is going to continue. As he's heard this suffering, that the cries of this suffering the whole time anyway. Go back to the intro again. Wake up, God. Are you going to leave us here in suffering? That's what the people of Israel were, were crying about as, as they were in their slavery, that, that horrendous suffering that they were undergoing in Egypt. But God heard it, and he's going to continue to hear it. And he proves right here. He knows what difficulties are going to continue to come upon them until he causes the deliverance to come about. And he is going to cause that to come about. Uh, and then Pharaoh will let the people go. We're looking forward to that redemption. Uh, it's not there yet but we're looking forward to when it will come. That's the Old Testament lesson. Now, the uh, psalm for sexagesima is Psalm 44, which is the same psalm where uh, the intro it came from. And I'm going to check really quick, but I don't believe Psalm 44 is uh, one of the psalms that uh, is uh, pointed for, for singing in the hymnary. Uh, and yes, no, it is not. Um, it is It is not... Um, one of the psalms that we can sing here. So let me look quickly and see if there's one that uh, has similar themes. And I found it. Uh, psalm 86 on page 184 goes into page 185. Uh, Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Uh, it goes on, uh, I cried to you all day long is in there too. Uh, give ear, O Lord, uh, I will call in the day of trouble, um, so on and so forth. Um, and uh, this is 17 verses, uh, and we're going to go, um, let's see. Um, I, I know already that we've got some long texts here, and write two tends to go long anyway. I don't want to overtax uh, the people who uh, are really emphatic about not going too long in the service. So I might um, quiet... Uh, um, limit this uh, this psalm a little bit here. Too. In fact, it would maybe make sense to end uh, at uh, verse 10. Uh, it concludes, therefore, you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Are God. Um, so yeah, we'll do verses 1 through 10 of Psalm 86 uh, for the psalm this this Sunday. Um, and then uh, what we have left is to, to choose hymns. Uh, the chief hymn for Sexagesima is hymn 229. By faith we are divinely sure. Um, 
we we can see that that this grace is definitely coming to us. Um, the the word of God can never fail is verse four there. Yeah, we'll we'll sing that as as the chief hymn. Um, it's five verses, but it's it's a fairly short five verses. Um, a couple other great ones here. Two thirty I know is is very familiar to people. Uh, Speak, O Lord, thy servant heareth. Uh, to thy word, I now give heed. It's it's um, reminiscent of uh, the boy Samuel in the temple uh, when God's voice came to him. And some of those themes are, are echoed uh, back here in the account of Moses at the burning bush. Uh, so we're, we're going to have to have 2.30 there. And I think it would be a great one to start the service off. Um, speak, Lord, is how we begin the service. So 2.30 is going to be our uh, our opening hymn. I've already got the doxology as the closing hymn. Um we need uh, a good district. 324 is a good penitential type of um, communion hymn. It's by uh, Kingo, uh, so it's a good Scandinavian one. O Jesus, at your altar now, in penitence and faith I bow before God's precious Paschal Lamb who bears the world's great sin and shame. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a great one for, uh, for, that, uh, for this Sunday, um, especially in this pre-Lent season. So 324 will be our our distribution hymn, uh, then a hymn of thanks. Um, I know uh, at uh, at our saviors here, um, they've had the tradition of singing hymn three twenty five as a Thanksgiving hymn, and I think it serves quite well. Uh, and you know, people won't have to turn the page <laughs> after communion either. Um, as, well, I mean, there there's some liturgy in there before the hymn of thanks, but I think it it serves very well. And the the tune is old hundredth, tying right back to the doxology as well. Uh, so we'll sing hymn 325 for the Thanksgiving hymn uh, there before um, the doxology comes at hymn 592 at the end. Uh, so that's our, our service then for sexagesima, all about the word of God. Uh, and we're, we're emphasizing that idea that, um, you know, we're calling out to God and we know he answers as we call out. Uh, I, I, I did my, um, my graduate uh, work at seminary, my thesis on uh, the Psalms and uh, how to use the Psalms, how to uh, use them in private devotion as well as in, uh, in corporate worship. Uh, and I, I went through and analyzed various types of Psalms, and, and there were two that, uh, that are always interesting to look at, and that's the imprecatory Psalms, which probably get the most flack uh, in general, and those are the ones that call down curses on other people, on the enemies and things. And, you know, how could a Christian ever pray that? How could a person of God ever, ever pray for a curse on somebody else? I'm not going to talk about that one right now, but the other one I want to talk about uh, and those are the complaint psalms. Uh, and C.S. Lewis had just as much of a problem with the complaint psalms as he did with the imprecatory psalms. It's not a, a shining uh, moment for C.S. Lewis here. But um, what uh, he objected to was the fact that it sounded like uh, a human being was trying to stand in judgment over God. Now, he would be right if that's what the intent was. But that's not the point of the, the complaint psalms. When we complain to God, like, why aren't you listening, God? Why aren't you being just? Is kind of how it, how how those things go. We're coming at it from the the perspective that God is not listening. It, it looks that way, and in our suffering, it does look that way. But what do we do when things look that way? Do we give up on God, or do we turn to God, knowing that He does have the power and the ability to save us, and He is promised to as well? It's like Jacob wrestling with God. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That's what this this um, this complaint is all about. We come to God knowing that he can save us and knowing that he has promised to save us. And so we come to him demanding that he keep those promises. Uh, and really that promise to, to give the people of Israel the promised land, 
that he comes down to, to speak to Moses about. He's just keeping the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why their names are, are listed there. He's remem reminding the people of Israel uh, through Moses of that promise that he made. So as they're calling to him, he's saying, yep, I've made this promise. Here, I'm going to keep it. Uh, and he also gives this answer of it's not going to come right away. Uh, but be patient. Wait. Uh, allow this suffering to come as I bring salvation to you. Um, and that's something that we won't ever have all the answers to about um, why we suffer, why suffering happens. Um, but we know that in that weakness, in that suffering, God's grace is there. God's grace comes to us and gives us that salvation. And so we always just turn back to the word. That's, that's what this is all about. So you can find uh, information about the podcast and communicate with it at tapestryradio.org slash Lord's House. Uh, you can find information about my church, Our Saviors Lutheran and Albert Lee at Our Saviors Lutheran ELS, sorry, Our Saviors ELS dot com. Uh, and uh, me, you can find on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. Uh, please continue to to talk to me about this uh, this podcast. Ask questions. Uh, give me feedback. Give me comments that that you have about uh, the services that uh, that are planned as well. Uh, and until we meet again, peace be within you. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From, From our, our fancy, fancy to yours. yours.